Welcome to the Farcast, helping you navigate the economic and investing landscape. Information from Wall Street, Washington, and the world. And now here's your host, Michael Farr. Welcome to the Farcast. I am Michael Farr. Thanks so much for joining us again this week. It is August the 11th, Thursday. Here we go. We are in the second month of the third quarter. Got it? Second month of the third quarter. And we're getting economic data that says, okay, the house fire is not heating up. There we go. That should be the headline. The forest fire is not heating up. The forest fire is not out. The forest fire is really not starting to go out. It's just kind of leveled off, this forest fire. If your house is in the way, you probably want to still get the hell out. But uh, you you look at data the way you want to look at data, meaning that inflation is still 8.5%. It didn't go up. Yippee! How about that? That's fabulous. And uh, oil, gasoline came down. A lot of other things did go up. And wage inflation is going up. I'm, I'm not trying to be negative, nor am I trying to be positive, as always, calling to just trying to call the balls and strikes. The the stuff is still out there. We get PPI this morning, probably going to be a little bit, a little bit uh, better uh, and, and not be going up again. And the markets are going to love that again, too. This sort of urgency to declare an end to any sort of economic or market problem uh, to me is pointless and dangerous. It sucks you in. It creates these wonderful and violent bear, bear market rallies. And I understand that the NASDAQ is now in a bull market. That's right. NASDAQ in a bull market now. But, the, you know, it doesn't mean it stays there, does it? Normally, after markets go up for a while, they come back down. And the question will be, when this one comes back down, will it go way down? We're going to talk to our friend Kenny Polcari from Case Capital Advisors. We're going to talk to Dan Mahaffey and my great friend and colleague, Stephanie Link uh, from Hightower, who is the chief investment strategist at Hightower, as I remain the chief market strategist at Hightower. So there we go. Hey, Kenny Polcari, welcome back. How are you, Michael? I'm just wonderful this morning. How's Florida? It's beautiful. Thank you. The weather down here is great. It's a very typical Florida weather, but, you know, it's sunny. It's beautiful. It's nice. That's wonderful. Uh, even even in August. Kenny, uh, it is hot down there, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, but it's not nearly as hot as it is other places. It's hot. Inflation's hot. But the economy seems to be cooling. This economic right. data doesn't seem to be hot. Tell us what you think and what's going on. So listen, I'm not necessarily surprised, but nor should anybody. That has been the expectation was that we were going to see a slight uh, cooling of the CPI. But that doesn't mean that inflation is gone. In fact, inflation is still running at 8.5%, right? For the month, maybe it showed zero. But even at the core rate, it was up three-tenths of a percent. Once you took out energy, it suggests that everything else is still moving up in price. So it's kind of a mixed bag, but I, I understand how the markets interpreted it. I understand how the algos interpreted it. I think it's a little bit overdone uh, because I still think we've got, you know, we've got a ways to go in order to tackle it. And the Fed's going to, you know, the Fed is now in a position to figure out what's next, right? Do they take yesterday's report and decide, well, it's cooling off, maybe we can pivot or... Is it still full steam ahead and they're going to go at the rate that they're going, which I think they should do, by the way. I think the last thing they should do is pivot at this moment. 
We had two Fed speakers yesterday that didn't sound like they were going to pivot. No. Charlie Evans. And, you know, Charlie Evans in his last speech, and Charlie's kind of a nice guy. And in his last sort of comments, he said, well, maybe a half a point or three quarters of a point. And I don't think he was offering guidance. I think it was just sort of, yeah, we're going to be in that range. Yesterday, I kind of heard more three quarters of a point. And we're determined to get this done. Did you hear that? What did I you hear? heard that. I also heard it from Neil Kashkari, who, by the way, has made a huge pivot. He went being from a big top dove to top hawk, right? Because his comments yesterday were, uh, we're not taking a victory lap yet. And, and he expects sharp increases ahead is how he defined it. To me, that doesn't suggest a pivot at all. That suggests at least 75 basis points uh, is, is what should happen in September. And I'm in that I'm in that same camp. I absolutely believe 75 basis points should happen in September. You know, you've been right, I think, and, and insightful that the Fed seems to have changed its spokesperson from Bullard to Kashkari. Uh, well, it's interesting. Kashkari and Evans and Mary Daly, none of them are voting members, right? So right. here's that here's that, that that theme I keep playing with. They send out the non-voting members to, to float the balloon, to test the market, to say the things that maybe they want to say without putting themselves in a position with a voting member. So it used to be Bullard when he was not a voting member. Now they pull him back and they stick Kashkari out there. Now, notice Kashkari went from dove to hawk, right? Yeah. And so now I think he's testing to see what happened. And look, the market didn't really react to him yesterday, right? The market kept going higher, even after he made those comments. You know, the thing that I've learned from these Fed governors, uh, the ones I've gotten to know personally and have become personal friends over the years, is they don't change like that. OK, so this is a little bit weird to me. I mean, uh, Jeff Lacker has been hawkish. He is hawkish. He's always hawkish. He's been hawkish since the first moment I met him. Right. And, right. And, and and he goes kind of between hawkish and extremely hawkish. And those are kind of Jeff's two positions. And, and you're not, you're not going to turn him into a dove. So I, I really do like this notion of yours that these are becoming mouthpieces for the Fed. They're becoming part of the jawboning operation. And right. perhaps they're going to use the sort of release, early release to the, um, uh, to the big banks uh, a, a little bit more carefully. I kind of have that sense. I'm not sure uh, if that's happening or not. So folks are desperate to hang on to this, Kenny. And they're going to say, uh, you know, uh, Polkari out there is just being bearish today. Uh, why does he hate good news so much? No, I, I, listen, I'm, I'm not bearish today at all. What I'm saying is don't jump in. Don't, don't think that like it's over, right? That the worst that this is over, the market's not going to test lower again. I think it is. But that doesn't mean I'm bearish. That just means that I'm realistic, I think. Right. Because, look, we're, we're, we're just finishing up earnings season. We've gotten, you know, out of the 500 companies that have reported, the majority of them have reported cautious is going forward. Their guidance has been cautious. They're worried about the future. They're starting to lay people off or at least slow hiring plans. That's that's the reality of what we heard. We're going to start to see earnings estimates be revised lower come the end of August into September ahead of the October reporting season. That's just the reality. So all I'm saying is, you know, don't don't expect that there's not going to continue to be chop ahead. That's all. Top line numbers that we're still getting growing top line numbers. OK, uh, and they're saying we can we believe we can continue to grow our top line revenues. What they're staying away from is guidance to the bottom line. They don't know what those earnings or earnings growth is going to be because they don't know what their input costs are going to be, except that they recognize they're going higher. So management is continuing to offer cautious guidance across the board. Um, right. And yet uh, in the short term here, Harry sent us a note this morning. Our producer, Harry Jennings, sent us a note this morning. 
that 80% of the S&P 500 companies are above their 50-day moving averages. What does that mean, Kenny? What it's starting to tell you is does see brighter days ahead as you see those stocks start to move up, right? There's more confidence. I also have to say, though, remember, there was a lot of money that had moved to the sidelines. A lot of portfolio managers that were afraid of where we were going based on projections like Goldman Sachs saying we're going to test S&P 3100. So they got cautious and they took money out of the market. And then you get a report like yesterday, which suggests that inflation might be slowing while it's elevated. It might be slowing. And then they rush to go back in, right? So you see this rush back into the markets and that pushes these stocks higher. So uh, while it's while it's a positive news that these stocks are trading above their 50 days, I still think um, it's not the all clear signal yet. One of the things that we've been looking for, Kenny, you've been looking for it. I've been looking for it. We've got Stephanie Link coming up in our third block today. Uh, Kenny, uh, she and I and you have been saying we favored companies with strong balance sheet, those fortress companies and, yeah. and still that had pricing power. But Kenny, there's a point where you run out of pricing power. And economists call it price inelasticity, inelasticity. Right. And you think about that rubber band where you know you've pulled it as tight as you can pull it, and you just can't stretch it anymore. And if you keep trying, you're going to break it. So you get to that point where the consumer, in consumer terms, it means that consumers aren't going to pay $6 for a Big Mac. Big Mac right. sales will stop yeah. at a certain point. That, okay, you, if you're sitting there going, well, you know, I love my Big Mac and I want to, right. I'll pay $6 for a Big Mac. Well, good for you. You and Bill Murray can go pay $6 for a Big Mac because Bill Murray's got a lot of money too. But you're not going to pay 10 are you? You're not no. going to pay 10 There's no. a point where you're going to say, I'm not going to pay that. that you're not going to pay for your mocha latte, frappuccino, uh, half-calf, something or other. That the but I still don't understand all of that stuff. I am so old school, Kenny. I go, no, I hear you. I'm with and you. I do this. I just irritate the hell out of those people at Starbucks. I go and I'd like a large black coffee, please. <laughs> and they stare at me like I'm speaking a different language. Large yeah. black. And so then I say it slowly and a little more loudly, like they're hard of hearing. Large black coffee. You know, right. That's the way I approach the markets. You know, right. large black coffee. Quit telling. Yeah. About a half calf mochaccino frappe with the something further, you know? Right. <laughs> right. But at some point, you're not going to pay $10 for that, right? Which is which is the point of what the Fed is trying to do, right? If they raise the cost of money so much, people will back off. They'll stop borrowing money. They'll stop making those investments. They'll try to slow the economy down. Well, my point is here that we've had uh, still an ongoing boost and good earnings numbers coming through this qu second quarter earnings. This is third quarter, but we're getting second quarter earnings. But when and, and we've seen that there's been price elasticity and pricing power. But when you run out of that, those numbers, they don't have anything else they can do. You know, what are they going to go? Cost cutting? You think they haven't been cost cutting through this whole, you know, right. uh, downturn? They've done the cost. So I don't think there's a lot of room. And I think there's a day up in front of us where the numbers are going to hit the road. Right. And and, right. And, they don't, and and so earnings numbers come down. Analysts are already calling for it. Uh, we'll 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 see. But I think uh, uh, I, I, one of the big banks was calling for a four percent increase in earnings for 2023. Four percent right. earnings increase in 2023. You, you see that if all yeah. of that happens, what happens to stocks? And what do you tell Fred and Ethel now? Because. I've talked so much today and you haven't. Which no, because, but, but, I, but that goes right to the point. I think you have to remain cautious. You have to remain aware 
that there's more chop ahead. But that doesn't mean that Fred and Ethel need to, you know, get nervous, that they need to panic, that they need to, you know, sell everything and go to cash. That's absolutely not what it means. It means, as you and I discuss all along, make sure that you you know what you own, why you own it, that it's appropriate for who you are and where you want to be. Once you are, then the portfolio will perform as expected and you'll be fine. The real trick here is to stay calm, stay invested, right? Stay calm and carry on. That's what the Brits say. Stay calm and carry on because look what happens. And I just said it. All these portfolio managers that went to cash, you know, three, four months ago because they got nervous. Suddenly yesterday, they're all trying to take that cash and put it to work because they don't want to get caught shorthanded. And remember, now we're coming into the end of the year, right? And there's always that push. These guys that, you know, were underinvested all year and then they have to make up for it in the end of the year. And so you could start to see a little bit of that's what was happening yesterday. The, the, the way that the market responded to that CPI report, I think, was a little bit overdone. And it may happen again today with the PPI report. Sure. If, in fact, it shows that it's also cooling, you're going to get another thrust. Look, futures are already higher, uh, suggesting that that's what they expect. Well, and the algos go nuts when that happens. These computer program things just drive all this volatility exactly. higher or lower. Exactly. Uh, but volatility takes you away from fair value, okay? Yep. So volatility can drive you much further than the underlying value in either direction. And that's when we're looking. That's 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 the bad part of volatility because it right. distorts the truth there and the true value. Kenny right, Polk but it also then, but listen, in a weird way, it then creates opportunity if it distorts it in such a way that you take advantage of that distortion, right? So when it distorts it to the downside, suddenly it dislocates very good stocks for no reason, but then it's on sale, you know, 15, 18, 20%. It's an opportunity for the long-term buyer. But it doesn't necessarily mean when it happens to the upside that you're missing out. Correct. But it's gone to excess and you just missed out on the excess. It's likely to come back to, to, right. to even at some point here. Kenny Pokari is CEO of Case Capital Advisors. Uh, the voice of the New York Stock Exchange for many years. And uh, now, if you want to see Kenny, go to Fox News and the Fox Business Channel. He's there all the time. Uh, and, and and you can catch his wisdom. It's, 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 it's always worthwhile listening to Kenny. Kenny, thank you. Thank you, Michael. It's always a pleasure. Have a great day. Uh, you too. Have a see great you. shower. Ladies and gentlemen, we're <laughs> going to come back we're going to come back with Dan Mahaffey from the Center for the Study of the Presidency and Congress, our senior political analyst on the Farcast. Please stay with us. We're glad you could join us this week on the Farcast. Now back to your host, Michael Farr. Welcome back. Dan Mahaffey from the Center for the Study of the Presidency and Congress, our senior political analyst on the Farcast. As we look every week to cover Wall Street, Washington, and the world, boy, Dan can cover all three, though his expertise is in Washington and the world. Welcome back, Dan. Thank you, Michael. Good to be talking to you again. You know, I was remembering that your cousins just have nicknamed you the professor. I I'm thinking maybe on the Farcast we have to start calling you the professor. Here. Well, you'll, I'll share that with the uh, that nickname with my favorite Cubs pitcher, uh, Kyle Hendricks. Uh, somehow I don't picture you both at the same time in any context, but okay, fine. Uh, professor... Uh, we had a raid at Mar-a-Lago. Oh, yes. What will we talk about this week, Michael? <laughs> I know. It's a struggle every week, Dan. Uh, and, and on a, a, a former president of the United States yeah. at his personal residence, this is a fairly big deal. What does it take 
what's going on, what does it mean, and, and what does it take for a judge to go ahead and say, yes, you can go in for an unannounced surprise, knock down the door raid on a former mm-hmm. president of the United States. Well, well, this is a uh, you know certainly unprecedented to have that raid on a former president's residence and offices. Uh, but we we have the facts where you have a federal magistrate judge in Florida agreeing with the FBI that there was a need to enter the residence due to an ongoing uh, crime or criminal activity related to the storage uh, or perhaps transport of classified documents related to the Trump administration and their time in office. Um, interestingly enough, though, the you know the Trump team, the lawyers, the Trump family, they have a copy of this warrant. They have yet to release it. Um, the, what does that mean? I've heard that in the press. What does it mean that they've yet to release it, that there's nothing in it or what? Well, look, if this were a very trivial matter simply over some record keeping uh, or that the matter was simply, you know, we want a better lock on the door or you can't have these papers anymore. That's awfully trivial. And you think that would be something they would want in the media to their supporters to show, hey, look, this is, uh, you know, they're sending the FBI over the equivalent of a, a clerical storage dispute. Now, then, mind you, think- now, mind you, we let's be equivalent on how we also talked about classified emails five, seven years ago and things like that. So it is an issue and the law is clear on the, the keeping of these records. Uh, but yes, this has been an earthquake politically um, beyond the just the, the simple bureaucracy and law enforcement aspects of it. I, I've, I've read a lot of comments uh, and, and listened to a lot of comments suggesting that the uh, Trump organization doesn't want this to be a minor affair that even if the warrant were minor, they don't want it to be minor. They This is their moment. They can blow this up and they move Donald Trump back into the role of victim. Uh, they're attacking him. It's a witch hunt. It's all the rhetoric we've heard mm-hmm. for so long. And he is really good at keeping himself in that spotlight. And, and now this is his platform on which he's going to announce for president is what I'm hearing, Dan, and reading I, I, our I, listeners are too, right? Yeah, and I, I get that sense too. One, this is the red meat of the campaign and the base. This, you know, builds on the Russia gate. It builds on all their narratives of a of a deep state uh federal law enforcement and intelligence out to get Trump. And that's red meat for the Trump base. That's why you see I think the so many in the House coming behind with this rhetoric of talking about uh impeaching Merrick Garland or investigations once they take the majority in 2023. And all of that is really focused on the the Trump base of the Republican Party. And that's very important in these House races where the where the districts are gerrymandered, where they're drawn party by party. On the other hand, these Senate races, I think it's been very interesting to see the rhetoric. We all know Mitch McConnell's no fan of Trump, uh, but he's been cautious in his statements. Senate Republican leaders looking at these close races in a 50-50 Senate, quiet about it. Again, the House side, they want this in the news. It drives out the Trump base. That's good for them. Uh, More competitive races, they don't want to be talking about Donald Trump and these investigations. You know, this is there's the classified documents. There's January 6th and the 2020 election. There's the Georgia investigation. Uh, There's the New York Attorney General's civil investigation. There's Well, hey, now let's stop there for a second, because the the president was actually deposed yesterday. President Trump, uh, former President Trump, was deposed for several hours yesterday 
uh, at the uh, uh, district attorney's offices in New York. He went to the offices. He showed up. It wasn't one of those video things or talk to my people. And the president is reported to have taken the fifth over 400 times in that several hour interview. Um, uh, he didn't actually repeat, you know, under the uh, Fifth Amendment mm -hmm. of the Constitution of the United right. States. He said that thing once. He read that statement once. And then he said same answer about mm -hmm. 399 more times. So uh, what does what does all of that mean? I mean, what does it mean that he was actually he actually appeared, that he was subpoenaed in order to appear and a former president actually appeared and yeah. did that? What does that mean, Dan? Well, one, it shows the depth and seriousness of these investigations into his real estate dealings preceding the presidency, the, the litany of investigations, too. It, it has people telling me he wants to run again and announce not only because he wants to get the fundraising going and, and you know, push away the rumors we had of DeSantis and others. We talked about that in past week. Uh, but also that he needs the immunity back again, that running again makes it harder to investigate a candidate. It suddenly becomes more political if he's running again. So does he pull forward this announcement simply to get some of the legal heat off and, you know, oh. in his mind, regain the, uh, oh. you know, in 2024, regain the immunities that come with being president again? Uh, president, former President Trump is 78. Is that right? I believe so. So he's 78. And if you run these clocks out in four-year clips when you're 78 years old, um, life expectancy in the United States, 79 and change years old. Mm -hmm. Though Most Americans don't think you're old until you're 85, which means you have made it five plus years past your life expectancy. And now you can be old. I, I love that in the United States. Well, it depends. It's all different math when you're considering presidential terms or federal sentencing guidelines. But anyway... <laughs> Uh, beyond that, though, look, I think oh, the, I think we we always talk about this though as the you know American politics and news becoming the choose your own adventure story, well, and for uh, and for one on one adventure, this is a former president, a political hero, now being harassed by a deep state and a uh, a government controlled by a hostile political party. The other adventure is that this is a former president surrounded by scandals, corruption, and concerns over his uh, relationship with the democratic process, shall we say. That, All that, of this is a question of, do you subscribe to the former or latter? And that, what percentage are they driving that election? It's, a, it's one thing in a Republican primary in a House. It's another interesting thing to see in these uh, statewide races. Let's go to these. Let's let's go to this for a second. Uh, does President Trump uh, run in this next for the next presidential election? Does he yes. run? Does he announce? Hundred percent. Hundred percent. Hundred percent. Hundred percent. He does it. So this is just a matter of when, not if. So he's going to announce. Do you think it's likely he will announce this month here in August? We've got about three weeks left in this month. I doubt he does it in August, but I believe it'll be before the midterms. Before the midterms, he'll announce before the midterms. Take the oxygen out of the room. What does that do to, to the, the DeSantis campaign? I think it heads it off at the pass in a way. It cuts off momentum. But look, the DeSantis campaign and others will say, let's just hit pause uh, because there's still a lot that uh, the courts and prosecutors can roll out in, in 2023. 
uh, and so things get dicey for President Trump a year from now and then DeSantis. How late can someone announce for the presidency practically, Dan? Uh, practically, I think uh, you start to think it's after the midterms. Uh, you start after to think in January, February, March. Yeah. You have How a, does all of this, the gasoline price now coming back below $4 a gallon, that's a really huge deal because we've been saying all along, it's very good, right. very difficult to get anybody reelected with $5 a gallon gasoline. So it's coming back down. That certainly is a good thing. Prices at the supermarket remaining high. Consumers still paying a lot higher prices and being able to afford less. But uh, what happens with this midterm election now? Uh, well, look, if it goes below four, if, if the voters are angry at 450, they're not jumping for joy at 380. But uh, they got to feel a little better. They're feeling I mean, a little better, though. Biden's happy to say he's gotten some of these big legislative wins. It's been good press. Uh, killing the al-Qaeda leader in Kabul, Zahiri, that helped as well, a sense of uh, you know, foreign policy success. So look, he's having some successes uh, and the headlines aren't about his issues with inflation, uh, with the withdrawal from Afghanistan, the economy. We're not talking about that as much as we're talking about Trump in the political okay, media. How, how much does it help for this for this election? What's how does the seat change? in? I don't think it I don't think it really changes the House that much. Like I've said, where it's gerrymandered. I do say, though, it makes you think Senate, it's going to be a pickup of 35 seats. I think of probably closer to 30 because some of these suburban seats will be easier for Democrats to defend. Uh, 30 seats. I still okay, put it around so the, 30 seats. So the House becomes Republican, right? And then this, it's the Senate where it's the total toss up and where even the Republicans are now looking. We talked about it last week, uh, admitting openly that they may not be able to retake the majority from the Democrats. Kevin McCarthy becomes the Speaker of the House. I think likely. Anybody else get a shot? I don't see anyone else they would unite around at this point. Does Nancy Pelosi retire? I think so. She retires. She doesn't want to go back to being a minority leader or anything else there. She's just going to yeah. say, I'm 80 something and I'm going to hit the road. OK, uh, now, uh, speaking of the Speaker of the House, uh, she did visit Taiwan. Uh, there were military exercises where we're firing missiles out into the Sea of Japan. What's happened? Is China still firing missiles out in the Sea of Japan? I mean, it's been a week. Right now, they've they've wrapped that up. They did extend the uh, exercises a little longer than they had previously claimed they would, but those have wrapped. Uh, they say they're continuing to monitor the situation and adjust their military footprint towards Taiwan. Next thing to keep an eye on in the coming weeks, uh, U.S. Navy forces. do when When do we transit the strait? When do we make a show? of you know sailing our ships through those waters and how does china respond dan mahaffey is the director of policy at the center for the study of the presidency and congress our senior political analyst on the forecast dan thank you so much pleasure as always great to talk to you michael we're coming right back with stephanie link the stephanie link folks this is exciting hear what she thinks about all of this inflation data and earnings and what you should be doing with your money when we come back on the Farcast. Please stay with us. Michael Farr and the Farcast are proud to support Heroes, Inc. Heroes supports the spouses and children of law enforcement officers and firefighters who gave their lives in the line of duty to the greater Washington, D.C. community. Their singular goal is to honor the supreme sacrifice made by these individuals by caring for their families. Heroes' work begins within 24 hours of the tragic loss continues indefinitely.
We invite you to learn more about Heroes Mission at heroes.org. We hope that you will consider supporting Heroes as they endeavor to honor those who protect us. That's heroes.org. Heroes, here for you, here for good. And now, back to the Farcast and your host, Michael Farr. Thank you for joining us on the Farcast. And now, back to your host, Michael Farr. Welcome back to the Farcast. What a treat, Stephanie Link. Chief Investment Strategist for Hightower Advisors, now basically the new face and voice of CNBC television across <laughs> the world, ladies and gentlemen, uh, and my great friend. Hey, welcome back, Stephanie. Thank you, Michael, for that kind introduction. We're very glad you're here. This is always so much fun, and we always learn so much. So, Stephanie, inflation seems to be not soaring anymore. Uh, it's hot, but but maybe they, they, we're gonna we're gonna leave the oven set at four hundred and fifty degrees and not take it to five hundred. That's a good thing. Tell us what you think about this. What does it mean for the markets? What does it mean here in the middle of August uh, for the third quarter? I still think we're going to be in a choppy trading range, but maybe between now and say September, the next Fed meeting, maybe we can drift higher uh, because as you mentioned, the inflation numbers are, they looks like they have peaked. We don't really know because there's still so many parts of inflation that are high. So we know that yesterday and today's PPI number, CPI yesterday, PPI today, we know a lot of it was influenced by fuel prices coming down. Energy, yeah. Anybody could see anybody could see that. And okay, yeah. fine, I'll give you airfare has come down, hotel and lodging has come down, uh, used car prices um, also have come down. But guess what is higher? It is food, which yep. we all need to eat on a year-over-year -year basis. Food prices are still up 10%. Shelter is up. And rents are higher, about 7%, 7.4% year over year in the month of July. And those, and then you add on wages at 5.2%, those parts of inflation are pretty sticky. So if we come down on the CPI and the PPI, that would be wonderful. But I don't think we're going to get anywhere near a 2% number that the Fed is looking for. Don't forget, the core PCE number is really what the Fed looks at. There's all kinds of measures, funky measures, as you know, Michael, on inflation. But the Fed looks at the core PCE number, and that's at 4.8%. They want to see that at 2 So they have a lot of work to do. I say we can maybe just drift up higher into the into September is because maybe we don't have a lot of corporate news. Um, we have decent inflation numbers on the headline. But then we get to the Fed meeting, and I think the Fed is going to have to be aggressive. Are they going to go 75 basis points in terms of raising the Fed funds? Maybe not, but they're still likely to do something like 50. And we haven't even begun to feel the effects of the higher interest rates in general. It usually is a nine-month lag. So I feel okay about the economy and where we are for 2022 because there's still enough momentum in the system. But 2023 is something that you and I have talked about, I think, is a real risk for, for a recession, as you have the Fed continuing to be aggressive into a slowing economy. You just made so many good points there, Stephanie. And I think one of the most important is that lag between a change in monetary policy and the time uh, at which it shows up actually in the data. 
What does that what does that mean, folks? It means that when they raise that 75 basis points at the last meeting, we won't see something actually change in CPI data and housing data in other employment data until sometime next spring. We're, we're looking for May, and, it, and the old rule used to be 12 to 18 months. That mm-hmm. was the old rule when, when, when Steph, uh, well, Stephanie's so much younger than I am, but when I got into the business, <laughs> it was 12 to 18 months at least to see a change in monetary policy show up in the data. Now in the internet world and everything else and instant pricing and Amazon and everything else, you tend to see that cha- those changes a little bit faster, but some of these trends are deep-seated trends like the change in shelter costs, uh, wage costs. Those things stay on trend and they're pretty stubborn. So Stephanie, I wanna ask you, you and I have been talking a long time about companies with pricing power, fortress balance sheets, up tra- trade up in quality. All of that, by the way, I think has been very, very solid advice to, to make more defensive posturing moves in a more volatile environment where you've got an inverted yield curve, you've got an aggressive Fed, all of the things that we that we talk about. But we've also talked about pricing power. And at some point, uh, you can't charge $10 a cup for your double frappuccino, latte, half-calf, whatever the hell it is people get at Starbucks, or for a Big Mac or anything else. You get to that point of what economists call price inelasticity. So what do you think about that? How much more runway do we have for pricing power for the companies we've been fortunate enough to find that have it? And what will that mean for 2023 earnings estimates? Well, it's the question to ask, right? Because up until God, now, I hope we have, so. We, <laughs> you, always, you always ask the right question. Having just asked it, I hope it's a good question. <laughs> <laughs> you, always, you always ask the good questions and the hard questions. Um, but I think for now, we have seen companies be able to have the pricing power. I look at some, mostly the staples uh, as examples. Um, but I also look at some of the energy companies too. Um, yes. I look at something like oil services. Their margins keep going higher and higher because they keep charging more and more and they are more efficient. So I think for now it has been okay. And that is because the consumer was in a pretty good place in terms of the savings rates and in terms of being able to find a job, being being paid more for their job, even though inflation was higher than their wages, they're making more. But I think you're at the point where you can't, they don't have a lot more room. I think a lot has been done already in terms of pricing, and I don't think there's a lot more room for next year. And so as a result, uh, someone asked me yesterday, what do I worry about? Well, I worry about everything, but right. I do worry about earnings for next year and margins. Because to your point, if you can't raise prices to meet demand, going to hurt your margins. Or if you do have pricing power, then the demand starts to come down to your point. So it's kind of a lose-lose situation at this point. I would just say this is going to get a little wonky. The good news on the CPI and PPI is there's a huge gap between the two. And that should help preserve margins in the in the near term but let's see how how it all plays out it's just going to be that's why i say it's kind of going to be a choppy environment for a while because there's so many unknowns there well there there are indeed and yet we see these sort of rising input costs and and when you listen to companies earnings reports 
where they might tell you, look, we we see revenue growth through the balance of the year, but we won't tell you what's going to happen on the bottom line because we don't know what our input costs are going to be in terms of labor or pieces and parts to make our widgets. So if those prices go up or we get another supply chain disruption, we can't tell you. So they're all lowering. So, I mean, I think here's a time where you sort of have to sort of cautiously listen to corporate America and what they're telling us from their leadership. As you look at 2023, I saw a number, I think it was Goldman Sachs, looking for about 4% earnings growth for 2023 for the S&P 500. Does that number seem low, high, about right? Well, if we do about 7% this year, that 4 or 5% is possible. But a lot is going to depend on if the Fed can engineer a soft landing what happens, which is very, they don't have a good track record on that, as you know. No, 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 um, they don't, no. Right? I mean, no. Um, that, that's not because they're bad, okay? I, I always want to make oh. this point, and I'm sorry to interrupt. Yeah. It's not because the Fed's bad, and it's not because the Fed's stupid. The Fed, I think, are, are, does a remarkable job, yeah. and they are amazingly bright people. It goes to the amazingly difficult and complex job that, with which they're faced. So I, 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 everybody likes to dump on the Fed. I, I, I think they deserve a little more credit. Oh, I do too. I, I do too. And I don't I don't mean to discredit them by any means. I didn't means. think you I, were. I, I didn't think yeah. you were. No, no, no. Yeah. I just think, I think, and especially, and then what did we just talk about? There's a lag. So they're doing all this stuff now to try to contain it, but unfortunately it doesn't impact anything in the near term. So they're dealing with that aspect of it as well. But I think for 2023, it is going to depend on if they can engineer a soft landing. We also are seeing initial claims going higher, initial jobless claims going higher. And that's a leading indicator, even though we just got a very, very strong non-farm payroll report last week. That's a lagging indicator. So the initial claims are starting to go up. We're starting to hear technology companies hiring freezes and that sort of thing. That being said, we still have a long way to go for massive unemployment, right? I mean, we we still are 3.5% unemployment. So we're really in good shape, but we have to watch the job market as the economy continues to slow. And so, and then we have to figure out inflation. If we have seen peak and <clears throat> if it can come down from you know, at, at, you know, five, six, 7% down to four or 5%, that's gonna give companies a little more leeway, but there are just so many question marks. And so I, I would go with four to 5% in earnings growth with you know, a bias towards the downside. Yep. Uh, you know, we've seen a lot of money managers struggle uh, through this time, particularly the more aggressive money managers out there, fund managers, um, uh, you know who they are. We all know who the really uh, aggressive fund managers are out there. There's been real destruction in wealth. And some of these numbers, I was looking through the first six months of a very aggressive growth manager, uh, uh, down over 50%. And their 10-year numbers now down for over 400 basis points a year for 10 years. With that sort of high risk taking and volatility, these are these are strategies uh, that neither Stephanie nor I get anywhere near, folks. <laughs> yeah. uh, this is, I mean, this is you. What you talk about the third rail to stay away from in our business? Nobody, nobody lasts very long. You can last and be briefly brilliant, um, but why would you want to be briefly b- brilliant in any career? Uh, doing this long term uh, because. You, 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 you can't be briefly brilliant and have a flame out with your client's money is what you can't do. So, Stephanie, tell me about your philosophy, your discipline at this point, uh, what you're thinking between now and year end and what you're talking to clients about for 2023, your advice for Fred and Ethel. And then we're going to get out of here. Yeah, well, so I think this year has been the year not to have 
massive bets in any sector. Uh, and if you were underweight technology and communication services, you actually are on the on the more positive side. Um, I've been underweight technology all year long um, for a variety of reasons. That does, that means that doesn't mean that I don't have technology. I have plenty of technology in my portfolio. But if you add up tech and communication services, those two sectors, that's thirty five percent of my benchmark. And I just don't think that that's a prudent thing to do to have thirty five percent of your portfolio in one type of sector. Um, and I think what also has made sense this year has to be uh, it has been to have a balanced portfolio, meaning have some growth and have yep. some value. Because yep. for the most part of the year, as interest rates were going higher, growth got hit because long duration it's not good for positive for long duration assets. And so it was good to have more value in the first part of the year. However, that being said, since June, growth has outperformed value by 700 basis points. And so you want to have some growth. And I think quality still makes a lot of sense. Blue chip, number one or number two companies in the industry. And if they get thrown out with everything else, if they if they get sold because everyone is selling the market, well, you get your opportunities. I look for companies with great free cash flow that are returning that cash flow to shareholders, as well as increasing their CapEx. So they're investing in their businesses. Um, and and I, I have a real um, high priority for quality management teams, not just a CEO and a CFO, but a bench around, yes, especially absolutely. because they can prove over the years that they can, they can get themselves out of an issue if they find themselves in one. Uh, and they are always looking for shareholder value creation. So so that's the way I view it for the between now and the end of this year. Um, next year, I, I, I might have to get a little more defensive. I'm pretty quality at this point. I think that's been the defensive and the correct move. Next year, I might even have to give them more defensive if we think that we're going to go into a recession uh, for the first part of the year. So we'll have to see. Yeah, I think finding that label is... is um... I'm not sure how helpful it's going to be. I mean, we, we can see where we are and, and when we actually call the recession or when it does. I, you know, uh, we, we can see what, what we can see is that inflation remains hot as the economic data are cooling. And all right, we'll figure out how to navigate that through our through our portfolios. That, Stephanie made one really, really good among all of her very good points. She made one excellent point that, that I have watched for years and makes a it's very important to me when I invest the experience of these management teams. It's not just the depth. It's just not that they're credentialed and have, you know, 16 Ivy League MBAs. Have they done this for 20 years? Have they been through a recession before? Have they had their back up against a wall and shareholders yelling at them? If they have, that's very, very helpful. They know what it means to go through difficult times and uh, as bright as you are, if you haven't been through live fire, mm, uh, we don't know how you're going to react. And uh, Stephanie and I uh, have been through live fire, folks. Trust us on that one. Uh, I would also just add. I would just add about on um, on management teams is pay attention to when they actually buy their stock personally, not when they sell. Yeah. People people sell stock for all sorts of reasons, yeah. right? They buy for one because yes. they believe in what they're doing and they believe in the company. And so that's something that I've always found very interesting to pay attention to. Yep, and and don't get confused by their option expiration either. That, that right. That's caught me a couple of times. They get options as part of their comp packages and you'll see them buy on options expirations. You gotta double check when they're buying, but she's absolutely right. And they also report board members purchases yeah. and sales. So all of those 
all of those things. So Stephanie Link is the chief investment strategist for Hightower Advisors, the voice and face of CNBC television, and isn't CNBC lucky? We certainly are lucky at Hightower. Stephanie Link, thank you so much. Thank you, Michael. Folks, that's it for another forecast where we cover Wall Street, Washington, and the world. We'll be back again next week. Have a great weekend, and let us know if we can help. H. Jennings at farmmiller.com. From Rehoboth Beach, Delaware, I'm Michael Farr. I'll see you next week. Bye. We hope you've enjoyed this edition of the Farcast. Thanks to Michael's guest, Kenny Polcari, Dan Mahaffey, and special guest, Stephanie Link. The Farcast comes to you weekly and is produced by Michael Farr and Harry Jennings and is available for free on Google Podcasts, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and all major podcast platforms. We love hearing from you every week. We try to respond to all of your notes and suggestions. You can reach us at hjennings at farmmiller.com. Let us know any questions you have and topics you'd like to hear us cover. We would like to remind you that the Farcast podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be considered legal or financial advice. The information, statements, comments, views, and opinions expressed or provided in this podcast, including by speakers who are not officers, employees, or agents of Hightower Advisors or Farm Miller in Washington, are not necessarily those of Hightower Advisors, Farm Miller in Washington, or any firm any of our guests may represent. Any mention of a specific security should not be construed as a recommendation to buy or sell, and please be aware that past performance is not a guide to the future performance of any security, index, fund, manager, or strategy. We strongly recommend you review with a financial professional before you make any investment decision. And if we can be of assistance at Farm Miller in Washington, please reach out to me at hjennings at farmmiller.com. We are here to help, and, and I'll be happy to put any of our listeners in touch with one of our investment professionals for a complimentary review of your portfolio and your investment goals. Take care, stay safe, and stay healthy. Please share the forecast with friends and colleagues. Go beyond the headlines each week with the forecast. Wall Street, Washington, and the world. Far Miller in Washington is a group comprised of investment professionals registered with Hightower Advisors LLC, an SEC registered investment advisor. Some investment professionals may also be registered with Hightower Securities LLC, member of FINRA and SIPC. Advisory services are offered through Hightower Advisors LLC. Securities are offered through Hightower Securities LLC. All information referenced herein is from sources believed to be reliable. Farm Miller in Washington and Hightower Advisors LLC have not independently verified the accuracy or completeness of the information contained in this podcast. Hightower Advisors LLC, Farm Miller in Washington, or any of its affiliates make no representations or warranties expressed or implied as to the accuracy or completeness of the information or for statements or errors or omissions or results obtained from the use of this information. Farm Miller in Washington and Hightower Advisors LLC or any of its affiliates assume no liability for action made or taken in reliance on or relating in any way to the information. This podcast and the materials contained herein were created for informational purposes only. The opinions expressed are solely those of the authors and do not represent those of Hightower Advisors LLC or any of its affiliates. Farm Miller in Washington and Hightower Advisors LLC or any of its affiliates do not provide tax or legal advice. This material was not intended or written to be used or presented as to entity entity as tax or legal advice. Clients are urged to consult their tax and or legal advisor for related questions.